0: I have a goal today for you. I have a hope and that is that you would be able to stand, you would be able to kneel even with nothing, holding nothing, being stripped of everything that you have, but you have Christ and you realize he is enough, he is your great treasure and there is nothing else that you need so you feel like the richest man in the world because you have him. That's what we're getting at today. We're in our series, we're continuing on, we're coming back from Easter in our series called The Awakening in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 5, so if you want to turn there with me, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip open your phones, it will also be on the screen for you if you need it. So we're back in the series called The Awakening. The glory of God is man fully alive. James has two goals in this book, that God would be glorified and you, by you becoming fully alive. Fully alive to become who you're made to become. James wants us to wake up, open up our sleepy eyes in order to become who we're made to become. And in this letter, James keeps pulling something off. He keeps, say, he keeps saying things that are incredibly practical That are deep with imagery that makes us remember what he says. This is why James is one of the most beloved books in the Bible. He keeps pulling off this great writing where he's being profound, simple, with beautiful imagery. And he does that in our verses today. And today, we are talking about something that I have seen a number of times break apart friendships and families. In fact, yesterday I had a conversation with someone who was telling me that their their family is being ripped apart because of the topic we are talking about today, and that topic is the pursuit of money. So here's where we're going today. First, the want for money, first point. Second point, the culture in money. Third, the problems of money. Fourth, the purpose of money. Fifth, the root of the problem. And sixth, Christ's generosity. So... James 1, or James 5, 1 through 6. And we've just been walking right through James, so here we arrive at our verses today. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Imagery. Very captivating here, pretty intense. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of Harvest, Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. All right, so let's dig in. Our first point, the want for money. If you took a survey of 100 people and you asked them, what do you want most in life? Most of those people would say something like this. If you just kept asking, well, why do you want that? Why do you want that? Eventually, they would say, I just want to be happy. And I want the people in my life that I love to be happy. I want my kids to be happy. I want my parents to be happy. I want my, my family and my friends. I want people to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness. You should pursue happiness. The question is, how do you get there? And what is the path and what will give you this true happiness? If you watch people and the way we as humans tend to behave, what you will find is that as we pursue happiness, there is a link where we want to link our happiness up with money. Jesus talks about money a lot. And I think it's probably because he's looked down upon humanity and seen that we are tying in a strong link between our happiness and our money. Now, I know none of you would say this, and you wouldn't. I don't think you would. I don't think any of you would really say money would make me happy. You know better than to say that. But I think what we do often is we see money as a tool, and that tool will give us the good life, the life we want, a comfortable life, a content life. And we say, and then if I get that, then I'll be happy. I think that was an amen back there. (laughs) So there is this strong link that we have. And here's what we find today. That if money is something we see as a tool that will give us the good life and ultimately make us happy, then we don't really understand happiness and we don't really understand what the good life is. Because what the Bible is screaming at us is that God is your happiness. If you want to be content, you need him. If you want to have joy, you need him. If you want to have peace, he is your peace. If we chased God, as much as we chased money, I think we would find ourselves much happier. So James is giving us some warnings today about our reliance upon money to make us happy in this life, to give us contentment, to give us peace, to give us this comfortable life where we could just sit down on our couch and say, all right, got what I need to have. And here's, here, so, so let's just go right through the book of James real quickly. So James starts off in he earlier in chapter one, and he spoke of a man who fades away in the midst of his pursuits of money. And then he does this thing, James does, where he says, you desire, but you don't have, so you covet, meaning we have these wants, we have these deep desires in us for the good life. And we have these things that we think will give us the good life, but we don't have them, and so we covet. Covet is the opposite of being content. So covet is wanting something that someone else has that you don't have, and you look on them with jealousy. And then what happens in this covetedness is, James says, it brings about fighting amongst you. See what I said earlier about how money, for whatever reason, breaks apart families, breaks apart friendships. And then he goes on and he gets to the heart of the matter as we continue on in James. And he says that we have been adulterous in our love for God. In other words, we have put a greater love than God above him. We've loved something more than we've loved him. And that thing that we have loved and pursued more than God is telling us we need more. We need more. Get more. And then we'll be happy together. Whatever that love is. It could be anything. It could be a person. It could be a thing. And ultimately James is saying God is your happiness and you don't need a penny to get to him. He's there. He's with you. Pursue him. And so I want to ask you this question. Are you happy? Are you are you really happy? And this requires a bit of an understanding of what happiness is. I mean, we live in a world that brings sorrows and pain and suffering, so happiness is joy in the midst of that. There's something that the Bible promises you can have in Christ where somehow joy will bubble up in the midst of the, whatever problems it is that you're facing. Happiness is about being content no matter the situation you're in. Happiness is about being at peace no matter what the world throws at you. If you have God... You have Christ, you have everything. So what more could you ask for? So why are you not content? Why are you not at peace? Why are you happy? And if you're experiencing the reality of that truth, that you aren't experiencing it, that He is enough, then that means you have wants and desires, and you don't have them satisfied. Therefore, you will desperately chase after anything, gripping for anything to finally give you the satisfaction that you long for. Only the problem is it's never going to give you what you're chasing, because ultimately you're chasing him. All right, let's dig into our verses now. This is our second point, the culture and money. And when I say culture, I'm talking specifically about the culture that James is writing into. So here's the situation in this time. There were wealthy landowners, and there were poor landowners. And here's how it worked in this culture. If someone was a poor landowner, they, the wealthy landowner would be cunning, and they would say, I have an idea. And they would go to the poor landowner and say, look, I'll loan you some money, but you have to pay me back. And if you don't pay me back in time, I'm taking your land and it will become mine, and you will have to work for me and work this land. So that was a common thing that was happening, apparently. And then what would happen is if that person didn't pay back the debt, still, they still had a debt to pay, even though they've lost their land, they still had a debt. If they didn't pay that debt, the wealthy landowner would have them thrown in jail. Then watch what happens. During this time, jail works differently back then they didn't have food that was given to them. They had to have money in jail to pay for food. Only they've just been ripped out of their occupation so they can't pay for any food and their spouse, their wife can't work because in that culture, women didn't work. So you have this man in jail who's supposed to be providing for his family, but he can't because he's in jail. So his kids are starving, his wife is starving, and he's there starving in jail, and eventually what would happen is he would die. And that is why it's said in our verses that these wealthy landowners were murderers because this was what was happening. Very common. James does not have a problem with wealth, and the Bible does not have a problem with wealth. James and the Bible have a problem when wealth is acquired the wrong way and when wealth is used the wrong way. The two problems is those, acquiring wealth the wrong way and using wealth the wrong way. And then James talks about living in the last days. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that there's a pattern. So Jesus comes, like God himself comes into the earth. It sets upon a ripple effect, but it changes the pattern of the way things work. And one of the way things work is, we're called, this is called the last days, it's called the present evil age, and what it means is there's a pattern. And Jesus says one of the patterns is this, the poor will always be among you. But we also see from James that there will also be rich. And James is speaking specifically about wealthy people who have no desire or want to bring heaven into the earth, and they look upon the poor around them, and they say, now's my shot. Now I'm going to get some more money. And there's a pattern that we live in today where that is repeated all throughout history. Now, that brings us to the problems in our use for money. And here's what we find here. So, there are some principles that we need to learn from what James says. So for, so the problems of money, there's two problems in the way we use money, and James says that they're this. We hoard it, and then we spend it in luxurious living. Now, how, how is that happening? How can you hoard and live in luxury at the same time? Well, it's actually pretty easy. If you are terrified, you live in fear, you're going to hoard your money. But also, if you're trying to live into a specific culture, you're going to spend when you do spend selfishly on yourself. And that's what James is getting at. So if you're hoarding or you're spending in luxury, it means two things. You are terrified that God will not provide for you, one. And two, you're trying to fit into a status. So these wealthy people, they have a status that they have to live into and a culture that they have to live into, and so they have to do all the things that wealthy people do. Again, here is the main problem, though. They're being stripped of everything that God has given them as far as finances go, and they're not asking the question, how would God have me use this to bring heaven to earth? The Bible says it's very smart to save money. Hoarding is the issue, not saving. Hoarding, you hoard your money when you're scared and you don't think God's going to provide for you and take care of you. You save when you do know that God's going to provide for you and take care of you, and you save as he tells you to. If you want to really dig into how the Bible would have you use your money, read through the book of Proverbs. Over and over and over again, it's talking about it. The problem is not saving, that is smart, the problem is hoarding. When Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray, one of the ways he tells them to pray is say this, give us this day our daily bread, meaning provide for us. We should be smart with our money, but also we have to trust that God is going to provide because if you don't trust and believe that, you're going to be terrified and you're going to hoard your money. And then the second, and we'll lead to the second part living in luxury. Here's the principle. You hoard and live in luxury by doing this. You're terrified, but you try to keep up with the Joneses. There's a status that you're trying to live into. So here's how it goes with us. Take the principle, apply it to your life. Here's how it goes with us. You're hitting your cap. Like you don't have enough money to live. You're always stressed about it. It's digging away, burning at your heart. You never have enough. You just need a raise. And so you go to your employer and you say, Can I just get a raise, please? And they give you the raise. Yes, I did it. Now what do you do? Well, you've got some options. You know what you're going to do. You're going to take the money and you're going to say, I want my kids to have a better education, so I'm going to get them in this school. Or I need to move to another place so my kids can get into a different school so they have a better education. Or I'm going to get a new house. I'm going to get a new car. Or I'm going to get the thing that I've been trying to get. And guess what's happened? You're back up here again. You you are stressed about money again, even though you got that raise, because we always seem to get to this point over and over and over again because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. There is nothing wrong with trying to fit into the culture that you are in. The problem is when you try to fit into that culture, and it leads to a sinful lifestyle. Meaning this. You've got nothing left over to be generous. You've got nothing left over to use for God and how He would have you use this. You've got nothing left over to bring His kingdom because this, your, your identity and worth is wrapped up in your status, and you're chasing after it, and you're not content with the status that you are in. Think about, think about being content. So you live in one of the greatest empires there has ever been. Kings, many years ago, did not have air conditioning units. I mean, you are living in luxury, but you're not content. Why? Why? because you're looking at everybody else around you and you're not measuring up so you're stressed about it and you need just a little bit more and just a little bit more. The Bible's trying to get you to just chill out a little bit and say, here's what I've got, here's, I'm laying it all on the table, this portion is for me being generous. This portion is for me to save. This portion is for me to meet the needs of me and my family. And this portion is for us to have some fun. And whatever it is that you have, you just use it that way. And you trust that God is going to provide for you. Does not mean you can't go have a nice, beautiful meal with your spouse And just spoil each other and just have a great time with your kids and go out and do something. Those are good things and you should be doing those things. The question is this. How are you living in a balanced way? Be generous to bring heaven to earth. Save. What are your needs and how are you having some fun? But if you can't live this way... In these principles, James gives some pretty strong warnings, and he's telling us that there's a heart issue. And he says, our hearts have been fattened by our hoarding and our luxurious living. And this has to do with our heart. We're scared, and we're selfish. So, And then, and then he says, we're in the last days, meaning, well, what I said earlier, there's a pattern, but also the last days mean that At some point, all of us have to give an account for our hearts and what your heart look like. Has it become fattened by hoarding and luxurious living because you are terrified and you don't trust God and because you are just chasing after some type of status? And then this other warning comes in. James says, the, 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 the cry of the laborers have been heard by God. Now, what does that mean? Well, so when you're generous, they would care for their laborers, but their laborers aren't being cared for. So how do we bring that into our context? How do we take that principle and apply it today? Well, God wants to bring heaven to earth, and he wants to do it through God's people, through his people. So what does he do? He says, live generously... For the sake of all. But if there are those who are crying out in pain, suffering, whatever, because they're poor or for whatever other reason, and we're not living generously, then God hears those cries, and those cries are heard against us. Because as God's people, we have a responsibility to care for this earth because, well, that is what he's called us to do. And all the people in it. And so if we don't, then it says, the cries have reached the Lord of hosts. And this is speaking of the army of God. The Lord of hosts is the army of God. So this is a major warning that if you aren't generous, there's a heart problem. And if there's a heart problem, it's because you don't trust God. You don't really think he's going to care for you. So you're terrified. And you don't trust him. And then you're going to start living like this wild animal functioning on instinct and you have these wants and desires and you won't be able to help it. You're just going to chase the things that you're chasing and you're going to see money as the tool to get there. And ultimately it means that you don't know him. And then in the end, chasing after these animal instincts and this selfishness, you're left alone in the dark with nothing but yourself being swallowed up by death and no army of hosts to come and fight for you. But when you know him and you've seen his generosity, your heart is changed. And so that brings us to the purpose of money, how you should be using it. From a broad biblical perspective, everything that you have is not yours. It is God's. He's given it to you, and you are a steward of it. And you simply throw it on the table, and you say, God, how would you have me use it? It's really simple. You don't have to get all worked up about it. I know in churches people get all worked up when there's sermons about money. Look, you don't have to worry about it. It's really simple. God just says, use This percentage for this, this for this, this for this, this for this. Go have fun, chill out, and relax. It doesn't matter how much you have. God just wants you to be faithful with whatever it is that you do have. And be content in Him. And that brings us to the root of the problem. This is our fifth point. James speaks of having a heart that's been fattened for the slaughter. So the question is, what does a healthy heart look like? What does a lean and muscular heart look like? It's a heart that has been exercising generosity. And you're never gonna exercise generosity if you are terrified that God's not gonna provide for you. And if you don't ever see Christ as being enough for you in every, like he satisfies your wants and your needs, then you are gonna live in such a way that gives you an unhealthy, fattened heart. You will want and you will not have forever. But when you have Christ, your status in society doesn't matter so much anymore. Do you know why? Because the Christian has been given a new status. And that status is as a child of God. You are a son or daughter of God. You are a kid, God's kid. And if your earthly fathers take care of you, how much more do you think your heavenly father is going to take care of you? He is the father of all of the earth, and he is your father over everything. I mean, it's God here. So you can just chill out about your money. And... If Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has called you his queen, which he has, we are called the bride of Christ, do you not think that he's going to care for you? So you can chill out about your money. In the book of Philippians, Paul says, I found the secret to being content. No matter what I have or don't have, I am the same. Give me all the riches of the earth. I'm the same. Give me nothing. I'm the same. I still feel content. And then he tells us the secret of it. And the secret, he says, is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which means no matter what my situation is, I'm content. It doesn't mean that you could be a quarterback on a football team if you're this tall or whatever. It simply means that no matter what your situation in life is, you can be content. Do you know why? Because Christ is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you, and he is your greatest treasure, and there is nothing greater than him. And so give you all the riches of the world, you have something greater, Christ. And if you are the poorest man in all the earth, you're really the richest man in all the earth because you have Christ. That is the perspective of Paul, and that is the perspective that is offered to every single Christian by faith. there's no treasure that is greater. And then James tells us, he reasons with us still, and he says, what can earthly treasures add to you? And he says, nothing, because in the end, all they do is rot. But, there is a treasure that doesn't rot. And it's Christ in his kingdom. And so here's what that means for you. When you live generously and seek to bring heaven to earth, you are building something now that will last for eternity. It will echo on into eternity over and over and over again, singing of what you've built here. Because you're building the eternal city now. And it means that if you are wealthy, you know that you are wealthy because, well, partly it's God's fault. And he's given this to you and there's a great responsibility there to be a steward of the finances he gave you to use for his glory and for your joy. And if you are poor, you can still trust him. And you could be like that woman that Jesus talked about that gave. And when she gave, she gave more than anybody else, not because of the amount that she gave, but because she gave out of her poverty. And that was a beautiful thing in the eyes of Christ. So how do you live this way? Because you do want things. And if Christ is our ultimate satisfaction, yes, we're saying that, but come on, be honest a bit. You don't always feel that way. So how do you get the power to live that way? How do you get the strength to live that way? Look at his generosity and what he gave up to get you. In Philippians, it says, He emptied himself of the riches of his glory. Why? So he could come and get you. Second Corinthians 8, 9, it says, Though he was rich, he made himself poor in order to make you spiritually rich. The Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. You know what that means? It means that everything that is his, he shares it all with you. Like a great big brother. So what did it cost him to be this generous with you? It cost him everything. Everything that he had. It cost him his life. He was treated like the poor farmers, thrown in jail and murdered because that's what you were. You have a spiritual debt that you would never be able to pay, and you have been thrown into prison because of this spiritual debt, and he comes and trades places with you so that that is not your end. And as he trades places with you, he is then thrown into this prison of death and hell, and he's crushed to pay for your earthly debts. No, your spiritual debts. Yes. And I want to tell you this, what he did. So he ripped open... This chasm between heaven and earth, and he came in and he lived a perfect life. And he kept depositing into this spiritual, moral bank account all of this beautiful good deeds and this beautiful record that's added up into this bank account that is overflowing with the riches of the way that he lived his perfect, glorious life. And then he took all the riches of this bank account and he said, Here, it's yours. Your moral record is now the same as what mine was. And he gives you all of it. And then he takes your spiritual debt, your moral bankruptcy, and he takes it all the ways that you've sinned, all this propensity for you to mess everything up, this propensity for you to not love people the way that you're supposed to love people. And he takes all of that, that record, and he takes it upon himself, and he crawls up upon the cross and is crushed in your place. So that now you could be like him, worthy to be called a son or daughter of God. Have a father in heaven who's taken care of you. And there, inside of death, he breaks through death and breaks the grip on you, the spiritual debt, and makes you completely free of it. So that now, you freely live a generous life. Because you are following after your, your God, your Christ, who's come and died for you and rose for you, and you follow him with just all, with all of your heart, and you just seek to live the way that he lives. And when you f- fail in doing it, it's okay, because he lifts you back up. He's a forgiving God, but then he gives you the strength and the power to live the way he's calling you to live. And be generous the way that he's been generous to you. And so, you can be stripped of everything and have him. And you are the richest person in all the earth. That's the truth of today. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that all of us in this room would see that there is nothing that could be added to us. That our record has now been wiped clean, but not clean in the way that we have no record. You have given us this perfect record. What more could we ask for? But you've even given us more. You've given us the status of sons and daughters. And even more than that, you've given us these new hearts that long for you and long to live differently. And you've given us this desire. And even more than that, God, you've given us an eternal city that has come down into our city now. And this promise that one day we will reach the shores of paradise. And when we do, all the riches of you will be lavished upon us. You are our treasure, God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.